0: IDBM Challenge podcast, episode one. What is respectful design? What about disrespectful design? In this episode, I had a chat about these issues and many other things with Elizabeth Dory who is the dean of Faculty of Design at OCAT University in Toronto, Canada. Enjoy. And also, like, you know, when you were talking about these tempered radicals, was it that Deborah Meyerson mm-hmm. who wrote the book? Mm-hmm. I never, like, I read the book, like, a few years back, but I never saw, like, the, I, I never thought about, like, you know, connecting it with, like, design. <laughs>
1: but I,
0: but I, I think it's really brilliant. Mm. Um, but how did, how did you kind of make the connection? Like, how did you...
1: Um... Well, I guess I mean sort of um, my main job or my main way of I say well I say my intellectual superpower is um, the synthesis of things that are appear to be distinct mm-hmm. and finding what's actually common or even not even common but complementary about them, right? Um, so in uh, so in that definition of respectful design, sort of the combination of, of Herbert Simon and um, Richard Sennett, it was really um, again that thing of I'm a design anthropologist, so I try mm. to bring together what is happening in design thinking, which what was what's happening in sort of anthropology, sociology, more sort of humanistic thinking, yeah, right, yeah. and find what are the intersections between those two. So is it was a, for me, living in that space of kind of hybridity between design and anthropology was a natural fit. Mm. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Because, and then um, and then when you sort of put that in the context of... Um, um, because well, so in Richard Sinnott's work, he actually, um, he's written other books that talk about um, craft mm. And the kind of, in some ways, self-respect that is built through this process of making things well. Mm. So that kind of tipped me into the fact that to talk about it from sort of design's perspective and to talk about what Richardson is doing is respect is actually a really natural fit because he's already thinking about processes of craft. Mm, yeah. herbert simon as a definition is just it's a common definition so if i if i connected it to that there's a, enough people in this sort of design thinking design research field that would um, that would be a shorthand in terms of like defining what it is design because you know a lot of time in design conferences um you get distracted by trying to define <laughs> what design is yeah, yeah, yeah. so it's like yeah. okay let's just we all know this is a common uh framework for design that we use so let's let's focus less on the design aspect of it and focus more on the respect yeah. aspect of it because that's the thing that we're trying to, to do new. That's the thing that we're trying to um, bring bring to the fore in a way that we really haven't um, articulated as well, I think, before. Um, but again, it, it, it comes out of like the work Around respectful design, is it? Again, I've always had those thoughts, but the sort of articulation of them came when I was working at um, Swinburne in Melbourne, Australia, and particularly working with um, Dr. Norm Sheehan, who is an Aboriginal sort of design scholar. Mm. Um, And so it is actually through our dialogues together um, around what does it mean to bring anthropology, um, which again, from an Aboriginal perspective, is a troubling field, right? Yeah. Um, together with Indigenous ways of knowing, because again, being non-Indigenous, I can't do Indigenous ways of knowing, but yeah. through sort of a critical anthropological perspective or lens, I, could, I can um, come to a point of intersection where the goals around the transformation to the field of design, the transformation to the field of sort of social research, we can bring those things together. And again, the first principle of sort of Aboriginal principle in, um, in Australia was respect. The second principle is no, the third principle is care, and the final principle is sort of share. So there was already, we were, we were already talking about respect. Mm. from an indigenous perspective and then it was sort of looking at well again um, from an african-american perspective understanding how important respect has been um, I mean Aretha Franklin (laughs) 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 R-E-S-P-I-C-T, find out what it means to me. there it's not an accident that 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 framing of let's say the work that I'm even doing now at OCAD University it's not an accident that it's framed around I mean, the theme song that was going on for the workshop was Aretha Franklin's "Respect," right? And mm-hmm. so, coming so coming from that African American perspective and understanding that it is the the lack of respect that is felt as the source of um, oppression and the source of trauma um, in sort of um, Marginal, minority, migrant um, communities. Having that then sort of amplified in working in the Aboriginal and in Torres Strait Islander context in Australia, that understanding respect also from a feminist perspective, mm. um, as well as um, an ecological um, perspective. So, again, having dialogues with like again, Deidre Barron, who, um, Dr. Deidre Barron, who does work around sort of feminist um, um, pedagogical approaches. Mm. Um, At Swinburne, we had um, Frank Fisher, who is like our guru of sustainability. So in having conversations with all of these people, the things that drew all of our perspectives together was this notion of the necessity of respect. Mm. And so if you can take if you can take mm. all of those perspectives right and, and and put them in the front of design then it's like oh my gosh like you have a framework to address so many different areas of, of inequality um, so mm. many areas yeah. of injustice so many areas of um, exploitation and oppression and and then Thinking about then how design becomes a, a tool and a partner against um, against those things, um, but in a positive way, like mm. sort of it's yeah. like not anti-oppression design; it's <laughs> respectful design <laughs> in the sense yeah. that actually this is something that we can all um, aspire to in very practical ways, right? Mm. Like it's yeah. you know what image are you using for this advertisement and is it respectful for women is it respectful Mm. to people of color is it respectful to um is it done in such a way that it's again showing the domination of human beings over nature right is it is it somehow um so you can ask very practical questions about the design decisions that you have and just Mm -hmm. sort of saying again not focusing on the problem itself, but how do we use our creativity, how do we use our creative methodologies to um, create an alternative, um, Mm. an alternative experience, an alternative vision um, for every single decision that we have to make in in design. And to the extent to which design, again, is the the world that we create. Um, It is the world that we can also recreate (laughs) with a different set of values.
0: Yeah. And isn't like that's like really like built-in in in design, like, you know, when you think about design as like kind of propositions on how things Mm. could or ought to be even, you
1: know? Yeah, and and again, that goes back to the Simon, right? Where it's Mm. like, again, um, what are the preferred conditions that we have? That preferred conditions are these relations of respect that we have for anything and everything. Yeah. Um, how do we then get there how do we again make those micro and macro decisions that lead us to that and and what are the what are the challenges that we have to face in doing that um, what are the uh, coalitions and partnerships that we have to make to order mm. to be able to do that and um, um, and so it, it the intent is to really shift the focus of um, how we approach design.
0: Yeah.
1: Like, um, like the work that um, Alex Banu um, did at OK University, and again, it's in very much in a European context of um, you know design um, for humanity. Like again, it was sort of it. It spoke to what the subject was of the design practice, Mm. but it didn't speak to kind of what are the inherent ethos that one should have as a designer. And so, to me, what's what's important is is changing the ethos of the designer Mm. Um, and um, the kinds of questions that the designer is asking of, of themselves, of what kind of... What kind of human being that they are um, in relationship to everything else around them. That, yeah. to me, is the interesting um, point of, of impact. <laughs> mm,
0: yeah, I fully agree. And um, I think it's really beautiful. Kind of echoes, or kind of, for me, it's. Uh, I don't know, like kind of reclaiming the I in relation to others. Mm. So how do we kind of bring back like the uh, the subjectivity and like the uh, the role individuals have, mm. like within this all? Like,
1: well, but what for me it becomes interesting is that um, hopefully what it does is it breaks down the I and and mm. it breaks down the individual because what the individual begins to see is how they are made up of or they are through that connection they yeah. are made up of all those things it's like if i consume water that water actually becomes part of me mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. um and um if i uh i'd say vomit mm-hmm. that water into the river <laughs> <laughs> then i become part of that river Yeah. um, um and so for me the what what magic happens, or the potential magic that happens is when you get um, the eye becomes dissolved into all of the kind of interconnections that it has to everything around yeah right because because it's, it's the 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 step I think that we've taken um, or many societies have taken sort of European or euro american or sort of generically what's considered sort of Western societies, the the step that we've taken away that hopefully kind of indigenous ways of learning can bring us back to is that you don't... Um, is um, that separation of the I from nature, the separation yeah, yeah. of the I from each other through sort of politics <laughs> mm, um, yeah. The separation of the I from um, whatever higher calling, right, that um, we use to bring us together in some um, shared consciousness, and so mm. what we what we hope will happen is that that the I dissolves into those other things, and it gathers back together, right, in the sense of. Um, let's say, I, as a designer, I have to make a decision as to uh, what form I need to create. Mm. But even then, when you're pulling for that I, you're thinking of, um, you know, what is my direct relationships to that material as 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 a entity mm. that has its own sense of being, it has its own sort of sense of purpose, how am I... Um, How am I diverting that original purpose and how would that material feel? um, Experience that sort of diversion? Am I doing it in such a way that goes with a particular path that might be um, aligned with the path Mm, that this mm. material is, or am I taking it somewhere else where maybe it wouldn't want to be? Like, there's an exercise that I did with some of my material art and design students where I had them. Um, kind of think about their favorite material that they use and so in the material arts and design um, with the textile group um, uh, a lot of them like silk <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. there is a few who like linen um, for the um, for the uh, jewelry students it was either specific types of stones or like gold or um, one student uh, preferred fur actually to use for jewelry. Wow! And I had them kind of just close their eyes, and I said to them, kind of imagine how is this material? You know, how's it given birth? How does it grow and change and develop in its own particular form? How does it? Um, how does it, when it first encounters you? And you first encounter it what does it feel like is it happy is it sad Mm. Um, when you begin to work with material how does it speak back to you in terms of the things it wants and the things that it doesn't want Um, how does it feel about the transformation that you're giving it to how does it feel about the final outcome and in that sort of exercise um And then they had to come in in the group, sort of going around and tell the story that they've just imagined to sort of everyone.
0: To each other. Yeah, Yeah. and it was
1: uh, was so beautiful. Like, um, you know, um, one student's um, favorite um, material was gold. And so, again, talked about sort of starting out as sort of being in this cluster of sort of nuggets of other gold sort of things (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, and you know again sort of growing and growing bigger and feeling kind of quite happy because it's in the community it's connected to all these sort of things (laughs) and whatever and then there's this sort of the process where it kind of gets uncovered and you know like the the having the light on it of the sun and sort of feeling like ah! (laughs) <laughs> that sense of trauma and shock to yeah. be sort of exposed and then that sense of as it was sort of getting pulled away that sense of like um, uh, fear as it gets pulled away from like all the other things that mm. it gets sort of attached to to become this other thing and the sense of like the heat as you begin to sort of extrude it and then the sense of cold and almost feeling like torture to become sort mm. of become all these materials but then um, they first meet and there's a little bit of like fear on both sides and worry <laughs> hmm. and anxiety of like, will this take the right form? But then sort of through this process is gently, gently, gently working with it. Um, and it likes the gentleness, it likes the sort of the, the, the approach that it becomes, you know, in this, I think they said a bracelet. And the happiest moment is then when the bracelet is put on the arm, hmm. because all of a sudden it draws the heat from the body temperature, and mm. it becomes sort of the same temperature as the body temperature in that moment of warmth that first felt when it was part of that group of other gold pieces <laughs> or whatever, yeah. then all of a sudden it feels that same sense of connection, that same sense of warmth, right, um, mm. on, on the wrist. And so it's happy again, <laughs> in the same wow. way it was happy as we're. And so this is like the story that the students are telling, and everyone's like, oh, my God. <laughs> and, you know, going around, everyone's telling these kind of really exquisite stories about like imagining that the, the materials that we use have their own life, have their mm-hmm. own story, have their own sense of feelings about things. And so how, you, how does that change the way you approach your um process of making if you respect that story
0: yeah
1: if you respect that potential life that it has and again i mean it's just an exercise and you're anthropomorphizing and
0: they mm-hmm. say so there's lots mm-hmm. of
1: probably problems if you break it down but but in terms of we talk about creating empathy for other human beings but yeah, we don't yeah. talk about the empathy that we need to establish for the 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 mineral world, or the animal world, or the plant world, or all those other things that we use as part of our um, process of making. So how do you bring that deep empathy into your design process? And what's the innovation that comes when you you think about that? And the example I talk about that is sort of... So, silk, because again, people's Mm. silk was everyone's thing. And like the silk-making process, um, is pretty brutal if you're a silkworm, <laughs> but people have already thought about that, like in India, right, there's, in the Jain religion, there's this principle of uh, ahimsa, mm. right, so it's basically like, do no harm, even if it's like, you know, a germ on a carrot, you can't eat carrots because you might kill that germ that's actually living on that carrot, right, yeah. so... That sort of is a very disciplined level of kind of empathy and respect, yeah. right, for other mm-hmm. living forms. So, kind of within that sort of notion of um, himsa, that then again, Indian innovators sort of said, "Is there a way in which we can create a silk that doesn't kill the worm?" Right, and so they found mm-hmm. another sort of technique, which is like the worm's already gone. So we refine the silk this way. You know the cook- isn't a living thing in the sense that it's done its purpose so we can use those create another process and make silk from that so that that worm is able to continue its own life and become the sort of next generation we're not wow. disrupting the natural form right mm. the natural process yeah but we're taking the sort of um, the discards in many ways of that process to create our silk which then again, has another life that it gives as it's, you know, wrapped around, cocoon as a woman is <laughs> mm-hmm. cocooned mm-hmm. around it yeah. um, in a sari, right? Yeah. Um, and mm-hmm. so this is, um, and that process was an innovation and that innovation was driven by that ethos of how do I respect the life of this um, silkworm, mm-hmm. but still yeah. find a solution that's able to provide, you know, a woman, the silk to wear, sort of the side.
0: Yeah. So it's not like, you know, I, quite often you have this feeling that um, it's more like um, kind of either or mm-hmm. question that, you know, mm-hmm. it's like a zero sum game that, you know, you can not like, someone is bound to lose, which is more like, that's a, only like a mental construction that we have been sold because of various yeah. reasons. Well, again,
1: you, you know, I mean, it's like the studies that show if you, you know that there is no such thing as a profitable business if you account for nature,
0: mm, right? Yeah. So the
1: fact that we use nature as a resource and we say it has land has no value except for the exchange of it or whatever. whatever. Yeah, we can take up whatever we need. Um, that if you actually accounted for the ecological aspect of it, then there would be no profitable business. It's because the profit only comes because you said we're going to focus on this aspect Mm, mm. of all the inputs and outputs, that we're only going to count this aspect of all the inputs and outputs, Um, so that, (laughs) um, but when you widen those perspectives, then all of a sudden, your you're the drivers around like again there think of how many drivers that we establish around how do we create a profitable business so there is no profit right because we include all the things in it then what becomes our driver
0: hmm and I guess that's what we are witnessing right now like there was actually one of the person we interviewed already Mm. um, he's from a I think this is it wrong to call like a think tank, mm-hmm. it's called Demos Helsinki. Okay. And they released this uh, report a few weeks ago called Re- Rewiring Progress. Mm-hmm. So, kind of, you know, thinking about like, you know, do we really need to have this, like the worst case scenarios like this sustainable growth, mm-hmm. which in itself as a concept is, is, is a paradox. <laughs> <laughs> <And it's, laughs> yeah, but it's, I, I think like what you mentioned about kind of this, um, like do-no-harm principle, like this kind of silkworm things. Mm. Um, That's really echoes with uh, Shintoism in Japan as ah. well. So it's really kind of, you know, seeing that, you know, like these uh, gods are everywhere and mm. you're supposed to kind of, you know, respect them, you know, kind of...
1: Well, and again, so this is like the, the old ways of knowing, right? The old wisdoms is that... And I say, like, they figure it out, like, as creatures, human beings were pretty selfish, right? Mm. So what they did is they created... Um, Cultural rituals, right? To try to undermine the inherent selfishness <laughs> of yeah, humans yeah. to sort of say, and and I talk about it from like um, the Aboriginal perspective because the Aboriginal um, cultures have some of the most complicated kind of kinship structures that mm. don't like that's not just kinship between people, but kinship between sort of um, different animals and different plants in different areas and mm. whatever and. But the important thing about the way in which they've created their ecosystem from a relational perspective is that um, the The notion is that if you have a people from a particular ecosystem that what the 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 design so to speak (laughs) of the society was in such that for every major plant animal or whatever there was a human group who had obligations to that so like the totem of like if you're the totem of the type um the turtle right Mm -hmm. and you're the totem of the um I don't know, like the uh, bunya pine tree or whatever it is. <laughs> then yeah, yeah. there's there's obligations to that. Like if you see one in distress, it's like your brother and sister. You've seen your brother and sister in distress. What mm. would you do for them? right? What How you would help them? Um, if you, you're prohibited from eating them, because it'd be like cannibalism. Would you eat your bro- human mm. brother and sister? No. Yeah, so why yeah. would you eat your animal or plant brother and sister? Now the The beauty of this design is again, you know, you had people as a group, you had maybe, you know, Uh, 20 or 30 different (laughs) groups who all had then accountability for different plants in the ecosystem and different animals in the ecosystem and different sort of waterways in the ecosystem and different areas of like mineral life in the ecosystem so that every Area, every part of that area and all the things that were living in it was interconnected holistically
0: mm.
1: between all of the different groups. Somebody in that community had responsibility for some aspect that, so thus in the collective, everybody in that community mm. had some obligation to maintaining, protecting, loving, caring, whatever. Um, the entire, um, Environmental ecosphere in which they were living. Like, that's so smart design. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So it's like, we're selfish. We get that. How can we design <laughs> our societies in such a way to undercut that? Right. Yeah, so, yeah. in um, again, sort of the various Indian religions, and again, as you're sort of saying in Shinto. It's like, well, we'll just make wiser hundreds and hundreds of gods in the Hindu thing. It's like, because everything's a god. (laughs) And everyone, then then everyone, the reverence that you would have towards God, then you have to have towards that mango. Mm. The reverence that you have, you have to have that reverence towards that stream or that tree or that whatever. And so by making everything a god, Mm. then then you... then you establish relationships of obligations, not rights, right? Like yeah, part of yeah. the way in which we've, again, certain societies have taken a different turn is that we've we decided to approach things in terms of I have a right to this land, I have a right to this yeah, lake, yeah. I have a right yeah. to this, instead of saying I have an obligation um, towards it, and I have an obligation towards um, this particular river, which then I have to... Work to keep clean. I have an obligation to these sets of trees, which means I have to make sure that they're continuing their generation. Yeah.
0: Which, if you think about like nation state, for example, as a concept, it's quite young, but we still kind of draw on that. Like, that's the basis of our Mm -hmm. argumentation, you know. Just like this, um, it's a very this uh, stand-up comedian Eddie Izzard. Mm, yeah, he, he has this. Uh, you know, the rebels are here and they have a flag. <laughs> no, no, we we can do nothing. They have the flag. You know, <laughs> they're the same kind of like. <laughs> oh man, um, how would you um, um, like, when when, like one way to see this is like, oh, okay, let me start. All yeah, over.
1: yeah.
0: How would you? transition from having a checklist to actually things becoming like an embodied practice mm-hmm.
1: see um
0: <coughs> or does it have to be like so polarized
1: i mean i guess thing is, is that um, if you do the checklist enough then it becomes a body practice, right? Mm. I mean, I think whatever, I think this has been debunked now or something, but there was like, it takes 36 repetitions in order to, for something to become an habit. Yeah. Or I think I say, I, I take Tai Chi, right? So it's mm. like, um, it takes, um, I think it's 10,000 times of repetitions in order to achieve mastery, right? Yeah. So yeah. the first, Mm, a thousand times you're doing it's really it's like a checklist am I, mm-hmm. am, I am I doing this 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 you know so this is like I'm um, all of the different moves right <laughs> and you give them names yeah. so that you can remember them and like white white stork spreads wings okay mm-hmm. check yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um so p- people um I guess I try to take the long view, um, mm. so a lot of times when people are trying to push back on um, something that is um, a type of change that hopefully you're intending to be a change for the better, they always sort of say, oh yeah, but it'll just become a checklist and no one will really whatever put any faith mm. in it or won't really whatever, and it's like, I'm more interested, okay, This is the mind that becomes an issue because there's assumes there's a mind body split.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: So it's like mentally they don't care about what is this checklist is supposed to represent, they're just going through physically the motion Mm -hmm. of doing it. Yeah. Now, again, from like that logic only works if you separate the body from the mind if you see the body as an extension of the mind or the mind as an extension of the body which is what sort of um, neurophysiology tells us (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, then it's like by doing that, checking that list every day, whatever it is, you change the mind.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's true.
1: You change, the behavior will change the mind. This is like, again, Tai Chi. You do this move, and first you're really just focusing on the move. So it's like, they say, why when you, in Tai Chi, you have to do your, the moves, you do the forms three times. The first time is for the body, so mm-hmm. then you're just really just making moves, right? The second time is then connecting the body with the mind. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, your body feels more sort of confident about it, so then you can think about the fine-tuning of what it is that you're doing, like the muscle memory kicks in, yeah, so, it's, yeah. so your mind's not focusing on that part. Your mind is focusing on like, how my am I breathing? By doing this, am I making myself feel calmer, or do I feel calmer, right? And then the third time you do it, it's connecting the mind, body, and the spirit, because your muscle memory has kicked in, so you know what the moves are. Um, you're not thinking about them any much because you're more confident in what you're doing, and so yeah, you start yeah. thinking about other stuff, like, okay, I'm doing push, right? And I can feel like how that's creating like, that pressure that I get from the wind. So then if I imagine how I'm pushing that further and the kind of energy I'm putting into the world and how that then is actually changing the energy of the world. And so how do I want to do this? Do I want to do it gently? Mm-hmm.
0: Do I want to mm-hmm. do it more
1: abruptly? So you start thinking about like this meta level of stuff, but oh, only yeah. after the muscle memory has kicked in. And you feel incompetent around your thinking and then you're just connected to everything you're just like you're not even thinking about this anymore. It's just mm, like Ah mm. oh, the breeze feels good. <laughs> <laughs> oh wait, I've created that breeze, right? And mm, then you mm. then you sort of don't even see yourself as separate from all this other stuff that's happening
0: around you. Yeah. There's a word for that in Japanese, like mm. this uh, have you heard of it, kokoro?
1: Yeah, so yeah, actually mind, body and
0: spirit. Yeah.
1: So um, actually at the NORDES conference um, where I just came from, um, what's her name, what's her name, what's her name, what's her name, um, Yoko, what's her last name, Akama, mm. um, she actually did a, pre- a presentation of Kokoro. Oh wow. And so she, it was beautiful in the sense of like she um, talked about like her family and her family history and then Had these and the work that she had been starting to do with indigenous community and how that helped her connect to her own sort of Japanese, um, because her parents were both Japanese from Japan, but they had lived all Mm -hmm. over the world because of the type of work that her father did. Yeah, and so um, reconnecting to the values of that sort of Japanese upbringing and. How, and then she and then bringing that into her design practices in terms of working with community, so she
0: had yeah. these
1: beautiful images that were just sort of meditative that at one point of the presentation, she actually just asked us to stop and close our eyes and try to meditate and then sort of mm-hmm. you know and then sort of continue through the thing but uh, but her the theme of her her presentation was Google oh,
0: so wonderful. <laughs> And I mean, this would be like super um, lo- lovely like, to continue talking about this. Like, <laughs> there's a really nice flow going on right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't want to keep you yeah, yeah. waiting for like, you know, I don't want to hold you up. We're,
1: you know. we're getting a bit meta, so it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> we can bring it down to more practicality.
0: Well, okay. And that's a nice segue, actually. <laughs> Wait, because we have this um, kind of association mm. task that we ask from, from everyone. So okay. we have like a set of 10 words. Okay. Just, you know, nothing too serious, <laughs>
1: Alright,
0: um, are you ready? I, I think so. Okay, first one, success. Joy. Technology. Scary. Space. Open. Business. <laughs>
1: <laughs> does, does scratching of your nose count? Is that, does it have to be a verbal expression?
0: <laughs> that, totally. Um
1: I think, okay, so the scrunching of my nose is probably like um uh, distasteful. It's probably like the the yeah. translation of that
0: hmm uh innovation culture. culture future success strategy movement design
1: future <laughs> <laughs>
0: Um, Idbm.
1: Idbm. Hey, <laughs> Tbm.
0: Oh. <laughs> so this is a bit like a. I, I didn't give you enough. Yeah, yeah.
1: like uh, that one. I have no context for. I I have to go to the bathroom. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and finally, imdb.
1: Imdb. I don't even know what that is.
0: That's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Dori. Thank you so much. I mean,
1: you're welcome. That you was also. fun.